Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the Lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzel. And I'm Jessica Schleif. And we are so excited today. We have a couple of guests in the studio from the National Park. Lewis and Clark National Historical oh, Park. Oh, thank you. From it's, the, a, it's a long name. Thank you. <clears throat> but it's I'm like one. the National Park. <laughs> which one, Jessica? Well, which one? <laughs> the Lewis and Clark National Historical Park. Um, Kayla Furman, who is a biological technician. Hi, Kayla. Hello. And we also are joined by Kathy Peterson, who's an education specialist out at the park. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank We're, you so much for coming in today. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here and, and to check in with the park and find out what's going on. Um, it seems like it's been a while since we've we've spoken with you guys, and I'd love to get some updates on what's happening, things you're excited about, new plantings. It just, every time I go there, I just feel like there's more, and it's it's beautiful and exciting. There's lots going on, so... Maybe. We were thinking about you. We've been we thinking about you. We were thinking about you, and our last show was on <clears throat> working natives into your home landscape or your home property, and it seems like such an amazing thing that you guys have been doing, doing some restoration work at, at the park. You guys work natives into your landscape in a huge way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. What kind of projects do you have going on now? Well, well, of course, we are continuing our tidal wetland restoration monitoring of mm -hmm. those sites. Um, and we are uh, continuing a larger project to restore the adjacent forests uh, that were acquired, um, that were uh, near the Fort Clats of reconstruction. Okay. And so uh, through that, that restoration... That's the fort. Yes, like, okay, the okay. fort. Just yeah, the fort. formal <laughs> language of fort reconstruction. I'm like, wait, which? Okay, so yes, the fort. Okay, the so fort. near the fort. Okay. Um, so the... About a thousand acres that were acquired uh, around uh, the fort area are currently uh, part of a larger restoration project. Currently, we mm -hmm. have a, a youth crew from Northwest Youth Corps um, who are planting, uh, planting Sitka spruce uh, wow. throughout our forest. They are part of uh, 60, 62 hired youth that we had this summer. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so they're great. from all over the country, um, whether they are from Northwest Youth Corps um, or interns. Mm -hmm. uh, they have worked on invasive species removal, removing uh, about... 120 acres oh um, of invasive species oh. in By our hand. forests. Yes. Um, wow. Wow. Using uh, integrated pest management uh, methods. Building. It is. <laughs> it really builds stewardship. Yeah. Um, and some of the students, this is their first job. Uh, so for them to get out and get mm -hmm. their hands dirty and be part of a larger legacy of yeah. taking care of our public lands is really important. And we are excited to be part of that and to be yeah. able to foster that. How long does a project usually last for? Like when you have a youth crew come, do they come for months or are they just here for a couple of weeks? Is it like a targeted project that they work on? So interns, uh, that can vary based mm -hmm. on the different types of projects. Typically they'll do uh, 120 to 600 hours. Our youth core uh, crews can be a few weeks, or uh, this crew we have for about five weeks. And wow. so this is their last week they have oh. with us. Mm -hmm. 
We're able to, um, this is Kathy, we're able to work with a variety of youth hiring authorities. And um, during the summer, which is our kind of traditional youth season, our, um, we hire through Northwest Youth Corps, mm-hmm. we hire through Student Conservation Association, and through the um, Youth Conservation Corps, so YCC. Mm-hmm. And um, the YCC are kind of the entry-level positions. They're about 10 weeks during the summer. Uh-huh. Usually students are... Um, entering maybe junior or senior year of high school and then have the option to apply back the next year as to be a YCC lead. Um, these crews that Kayla is talking about, the ones that are in the park now, are kind of um, bonus bonus work we are able to um, receive based on projects that we've written to fund. Yeah. And so we have a really good relationship with Northwest Youth Corps, for instance, mm-hmm. and this crew has been able to do some really vital work, kind of an off-season for us. Yeah. Yeah. Where do they, where, where are they housed? They are staying at our Sunset Beach Education Center. Okay. Out just the, here the is, property. Just oh, yeah. property. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah that's so, so cool. Because cool. yeah. I was just thinking, but where would people live They're, here? There's nowhere to live here kind right of assisted now. camping. <laughs> yeah. It's a young Great. property. Oh, and, wow. And um, under our um, use regulations to have that site we're able to create this kind of housing what an immersive experience yeah yeah Yeah. it's really it's quite something well really wonderful but also i mean doing that kind of work it takes i mean and doing it by hand and doing it without chemicals it takes a lot of just manual hours and so being able to connect with this, and also as someone who has done that work in the past, but as I'm getting older, it's harder and harder to do that. So <laughs> right. absolutely connecting the youth who can be out there for hours pulling invasive species. And what are some of the worst invasive species you guys struggle with, do you think? Holly. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a big one. Holly's a yeah. big one. Uh, holly, uh, laurel, spurge laurel, mm-hmm. um, ivy as mm-hmm. well. Scotch um, broom. Scotch broom. Oh. <laughs> Ubiquitous Scotch broom. And we also have, um, traditionally, we've had a couple of Student Conservation Corps, Student Conservation Association um, interns in the summers who have worked with our park and then with Washington State Parks in a cooperative agreement. And they are housed at Fort Columbia. And then they have worked on Washington State Park sites. And I think Gorse would be one that they're. Wow. In our a wetlands. perennial issue. Yeah, we have uh, loose strife, yellow flag iris. Mm-hmm. Um, so, lots of challenges. Yes, yeah. there there are lots of challenges. Lots of opportunities. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but what about on the other side? What kinds of things are you planting? I mean, in addition to spruce in your forests, what kinds of 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 plantings are you excited about? I know we we spoke briefly um, before the show um, about a, a special garden mm-hmm. you guys have at the park, um, an ethnobotanical garden. And maybe explain a little bit what ethnobotany is and then tell us a little bit about that space because it sounds so amazing. Yes. Uh, so ethnobotany is the study of traditional knowledge and the use of plants, whether that be for consumption, to eat, or for medicine, or to use as a textile, to use as a tool. Uh, so we have a ethnobotany. Uh, botanical garden at uh, Natoll Landing mm-hmm. at the park. And it's a beautiful landscaped area um, with a uh, plaque outside that has a brochure. So you can uh, take that and learn more as you wander through the garden. Some of my favorite plants mm-hmm. in the garden are wapato and camas, which are in the wetland uh, mound. And those have a beautiful bloom in the late spring 
Um, both bulbs. Yes, mm-hmm. both yeah. bulbs, um, which were traditionally um, and are traditionally eaten um, this time of year, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when the plant dies back. When the plant dies back. Digging those tubers or bulbs. Mm-hmm. And... Lewis describes uh, seeing people. <laughs> of course, I go into I know, Lewis I was and th- Clark. I was yes. only thinking about the journals and their relationship with the Wapato. <laughs> yes. Uh, he describes, I want to say... Um, in November, this time of year, um, seeing mass quantities dug up by women along the riverbanks mm-hmm. in the Willamette Valley. Uh, and he is intrigued by it. He um, is wondering what they're pulling up and eventually uh, does get to consume some mm-hmm. um, by trading with the local people. It's good. Wapato. I've had roasted wapato. It's pretty tasty. Seasoned? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I think anything when you cook it, and if it's an unusual flavor or something you haven't experienced before, it can seem strange. And oftentimes people say, well, it's a tuber. It's like a potato. And it's not like a potato. So if you're expecting potato, it's not that. But it can be quite delicious, too. And it just it's exciting to know that there are these food sources that are there that are also beautiful plants that flower that provide Mm -hmm. so many other ecological benefits. But then, hey, it's something you can eat. That's, you know, that's a cool thing, too. Yeah, especially here where we have so many wet areas. Oh, absolutely. It's a great plant that will really establish itself well. Yeah, they naturalize really well. We've also started um, using, utilizing some of the plant offerings during our survival camp in the summer, so with middle school students. Ooh, tell us and, about that. Yeah. Um, survival camp. Survival camp. <laughs> and so we spend one day doing foraging in the park and then cook a kind of communal meal. And um, Kayla, maybe because you've led the forage down at the Ethel Botanical Garden, what are you selecting in the summer? Because that also has to be you know, seasonally dependent. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we grabbed some nodding onion flowers mm-hmm. to add to a nettle pesto, uh, which we had collected earlier in the season and prepared for the students. We also had some oxalis flowers and leaves just to add as garnishes. It was very pretty (laughs) (laughs) and tasty. Uh, We made a Sitka spruce tip tea, added some horsetail as well. To the tea? Uh, to the tea. Ooh. Oh, fun. I didn't know you could do that. Uh-huh. And the cattail. Oh, yeah. huh. um, not from that that's... garden, but elsewhere in the park. Yes, we harvested some cattail. Did you grind that and make a flower? No, no we no. didn't. Wait, how <laughs> many you could do that? That is yeah. possible. Yeah. Huh. I see it in the Doug huh. Dewar book. I have, <laughs> okay. I have not personally <laughs> ground cattails to make flour, but... <laughs> well, how were, how were you using the cattails? So we were um, cutting stalks mm-hmm. um, and grabbing very small amount, maybe two inches of the bottom of the stalk, peeling back um, Uh the really stringy parts and the leaves. And that small amount and a little bit of butter was actually a highlight of a lot of the students' snack time. Um, They really enjoyed it, as well as the pollen. The pollen we added is kind of tasting like nutritional yeast, Mm -hmm. Um, has Mm -hmm. that similar flavor. Cattail pollen. Cattail pollen. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Okay, yeah. I, I want to come to survival camp. <laughs> so really... guest. Guest. We harvested guest survivalist. Yeah. some strawberries as well as other berries, mm-hmm. our native blackberry as well. well we had, yeah. uh, the, so we've had good use of the um, wild strawberries from the, um, the nursery garden. Excuse me. We harvested a bunch of runners and then during the most recent um, Art in the Park had a youth activity during the intermission and people were able to make a little um, 
newspaper pot and then plant a little wild strawberry. And so we're thinking we've got wild strawberries out in the community now. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love to hear that you're using the nettles, too, because when I'm doing that hike, I often look at those nettles, and nettle pesto is definitely one of you make a good Super nettle tasty. pesto, Thank Jessica. you. I Super finally tasty. planted nettles in my own home garden so that I wouldn't be going around foraging. And like... <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's a reminder at the park around yes. foraging. Um, we I was kind of asked, thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, we, it, um, for, for instance, for mushrooms. So we're at the tail end of mushroom season, and um, we ask that if people are picking, they're picking on the west side of Fort Clatsop mm-hmm. Road so that they're out of the Fort Clatsop replica historic footprint and then it's a personal pint per day yeah so if you know a pint that's what we're asking yeah mm-hmm. yeah well and i think that's an important thing to remind people of because i mean it's we're all stewards right. of this land i mean you are officially the stewards of the land it's your it's your work but all of us these are our public lands they belong to all of us and we are all the stewards and it's it's responsible you don't want to over harvest because right. then you can um drive species out of an area if, if they can't reproduce themselves. And so it's just a good thing to think about, you know. I mean, and that's with so many things. Like, don't be greedy. You know, take enough for yourself, leave some to share for and others, no, and leave exactly, some for nature. Exactly. And also knowing that there are areas I would never harvest your nettles on the Natal Landing. I right, mean, right, I, I just, right, right. I know that that is an educational garden yeah. and an educational yeah. trail. and yeah. Yeah. No, we even we even um, through the education program would we will check in with the resource division to get a permission to do any sure. kind of harvest. Yeah. Um, there are opportunities we're envisioning in the future with the ethnobotanical garden and through interpretation and resource interpretation that we can be having opportunities for the public to come taste things. You know, that the would way be really we prepare cool. a silverweed or prepare. Um, some dish and talk about use and ideally have um, tribal representation there too because oh, the garden nice. is very much hearkening to historical traditional use. Mm-hmm. We have a very edible landscape here, the native landscape in this region. I've always been sort of um, overwhelmed and, 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 and blown away by how many plants here are useful and edible, um, medicinal, Delicious. I mean, the berries are sort of off the charts right. anyway, but right. it's this is such a, a, a thriving area, and it's exciting to see that you guys are providing space for those plants and um, helping them stay Helping around. them get a sta- yeah, established. Mm-hmm. Like. Well, and also for wildlife. I mean, we are, we're so human-centric. It's like, ooh, plants that we can eat. But it's also really important for birds and right. insects and, and deer and elk and everyone who browses on those plants, not just us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So what else is going on? Well, we have a couple of um, speaker events in the community and at the park that uh, we think folks might be interested in. Uh Kayla, do you want to start with? Sure. So Nature Matters is our um, collaborative speaker talk uh, that is in partnership with the North Coast Watershed Association, the Lewis and Clark National Park Association, and the Fort George. It is a conversation about the intersection of nature and culture. It takes place the second Thursday of each month, October through May. Our next talk is December 12th, and that will feature Dorothy Horn, who is a PhD student at Portland State University, who's studying the impacts of microplastics in our near shore marine organisms. So um, very, very relevant uh, to what's going on here. Um, So this would be in in crabs or shellfish or things like that. Wow. 
Uh, and so you can check out her talk at uh, 7 p.m. on December 12th at the Fort George Lovell Showroom. This is a Fort George Brewery here in Astoria. Mm-hmm. Good partner. Yeah, that's and such a great series. It is. I've been to some of them, and it's you always presented. so much fun. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. I did present. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, Teresa it's, helped organize. I yeah. know. It's, it's such yeah. a wonderful – I'm so excited to see it still going on. It's the wonderful to, um, to, to see the legacy of that and just so many great topics to right. cover. Right. And really wonderful ways to connect with, with the natural world in our area and learn more about it. So, yeah, it's a great and series. And highly entertaining. What a great – is. Like, it to is. be – able to go out and have a drink and have a snack and see lots of people you know yeah and get educated on mm-hmm. a subject yeah i just know from talking to speakers in the past um their the astoria audience is very respected sometimes a little intimidating we have a lot of science and yeah folks in the yeah, back row <laughs> um but they asking really those like difficult coming. questions yeah, yeah. they really like to come to present yeah um, so and great. then december 15th on sunday at one there's a free talk at the fort Clatsop visitor center uh, the Natal River Room is part of our In Their Footsteps speaker series. And that's Richard Brenny, a writer and producer who's talking about historic winter transportation. Um, we've got an, a, a talk still in the In Their Footsteps series in January on the 19th. Jennifer Burns Bright, who is an educator and writer, oh, who yeah, is presented yeah. for mm-hmm. Nature Matters, is talking about what did Lewis and Clark eat? So that might be <laughs> a <good laughs> topic as well. Dun, right. dun, dun. Besides boiled out. Yeah. I know. And how much do they complain about it? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The journal's full of lots of good human humanity yes, yes. yes. I, and yeah, eating the and, I, that yes. came back to me yeah. from the journal <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to add too if you wanted to be out in the park over the um, traditional winter holidays we will have costumed rangers giving living history programs December 26th through January 1st and so our hours are 8 to excuse me 9 excuse me to 5 and um, there will be living history programs there'll be some guided walks just kind of a nice time to be in the park it's really pretty lovely and um, experiencing at as the core would have experienced it Uh then and um, lots of folks which is so meaningful I think I remember that from gosh I think uh, um Years ago, I think when I was working on the, the bicentennial, it was in 2005, yes. and and just think I'm like that it was happening now. Like this is the time of year right. when you know so much of the intention is on. This is when Lewis and Clark and their crew were here and staying, and this weather that we're you know winter weather is what yeah. they were experiencing mm-hmm. and living here. And it was very interesting to see that and see that interpretation right. at the park at that time. Right. I mean, so much of the story, at least for me and the stories of the expedition and the interactions with the class of people and the class of homeland that we're in is um, very sensory. And mm-hmm. I think the winter is an especially interesting time to go through the fort. Um, we talk about anytime we have a, a fire in the fireplaces, the, the fort kind of holds the smell for weeks on end afterwards mm-hmm. and the public then will come through and say wow this is what it smelled like I mean we can give those yeah those experiences still um uh, yeah and, and winter is also a good time if you figure that we see um almost 185,000 people at the fort every wow. year winter what? would be a good time <laughs> the fort and our other units in fact we're over 280,000 when we count all of the units that make up that are umbrellaed under Lewis and Clark National Historical Park. Whoa. But for good, you know, tens wow. of thousands are at the fort during the year. Come in the winter. It's a yeah. great time to kind of have some space. Yeah. And Check it out and then. it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Walking yeah. in the woods nice in the winter is so beautiful. It is good. It is I good. love being in the forest, even when it's drizzly rainy, and you just get that 
that kind of drippy rainforest mm. experience. It's so, oh, it's just magical. It's and magical your trails thing. there. Your trails. I, I just have to congratulate you on, you guys do such a great job That's keeping those trails up, to improving those trails. And, yeah, yeah, facility mm. maintenance staff is top notch, mm-hmm. you know, as are um, other divisions in the park working toward those and the vision behind them. Um, years past with superintendents and current superintendents yeah. and just um, giving people a recreation opportunity. Um, our mission is to preserve and conserve these special places, these stories, um, this nature, and mm-hmm. this way to get people out in it is mm-hmm. something that we um, feel very strongly about. We'll, yeah, I love we'll that there's support. a variety of trail like kind of um, difficulty levels. Yeah, and I was you thinking have some very about easy that. Access like very ones, accessible right. trails. And then some that are more then... challenging. <laughs> and, and so you have a spectrum of ways that people can experience it. It's all very intentional. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I yeah. know there's a lot of thought behind it, but, it's, yeah. but it is also kind of cool. Yeah. So I know that if I have, you know, someone visiting and I want them to experience the park, you know, but maybe they're not super, you know, strenuous fit hiker. We right. can, you know, go walk the Natal right. landing, the Natal Trail. And that's a, a really easy, lovely level walk. But they're going to experience it. That could almost be wheelchair things. accessible. It, there are parts <clears throat> with a sport type, a mm-hmm. lighter wheelchair yeah. that are. Mm-hmm. We'll, we're working toward um, universal accessibility on um, in, in spaces that are feasible and mm-hmm. that we will be explaining Exciting. better yeah. you know, this is what this trail is about and this is what it would be like to be on it so that we're giving um, our park goers those chances to choose these opportunities mm-hmm. and experience them That's accessibility very is well it's it's we we have to well, and <laughs> we have to on and a I number, know that for and a number of I mean, reasons I get but, but yes but I right think, yeah, no, I mean, that it's doing what is right and mm-hmm. um, having these places presentable mm-hmm. for all people yeah they are yeah. every person should have the opportunity part. to go out and enjoy nature and especially those who live in urban spaces mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people come from even just portland to come to the park and enjoy it and you had mentioned you know there is a a variety of different types of trails. They look different all times of the year. Uh, That's one of my favorite parts about my position is that I'm out there and I see it. Uh, I see the trees changing and um, the berries in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then all of the moss becomes alive in the winter. Um, So no matter what time of year that you're coming to Mm -hmm. the trails, you're going to find something different and special. I can tell you something nerdy. Walk the trail the opposite way you usually walk it. And it's new again. (laughs) (laughs) Just coming at things from a different angle. Right. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a good challenge. I learned that from Marco. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, from the arts and the parks. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is the times that I've walked it both ways. (laughs) That is a wonderful way to to connect. There's a great program that the service is, and in fact, all public lands, um, federal public lands are part of, um, it's called Every Kid Outdoors. used to be called the Every Kid in a Park program, Mm -hmm. but it's a free pass for every fourth grader um, or fourth grade school equivalent or age equivalent and it allows for entry into any public lands um, site that charges a fee for that fourth grader and their guardians their adult people and so is that year year round yeah yeah no we're part of the program it's a pass that's good for a year it's like looks like a it is a park pass yeah so it's a little hard credit card sized pass that um you know you can't buy 
Um, but we How do you out, apply for them? Well, when fourth graders come to the park, they are ideally are able to have gone online to the www.everykidinapark.gov mm-hmm. site and then are asked a couple of questions, print out a voucher, and then turn it in at the front desk. We um, use the program through our education work to... Um, I, I work with teachers in advance to let them know about the curriculum associated with the program, and then um, we kind of swear in the fourth graders and, and issue the passes that day while they're there. Mm-hmm. So we issue a, you know, a couple thousand passes a year at least. That's fantastic. And, wow. um, but good to know about it too. If, you, if you're um, someone who homeschools your kids, right, or absolutely. if there's other, you know, yeah, that, just that if you're not coming at it from a public school totally, um, totally. view, but this is something that age I mean, or, yeah. you know, so it's your. I mean, it just depends, age or grade equivalent, yeah. kind of depends on where you are. You can come up to that front sounds... desk, and um, and the fourth graders were chosen um, really deliberately because they are great ambassadors um, to parks and cool mm-hmm. places, but they also are usually still in contained classrooms if they're in a traditional classroom mm-hmm. and not going multi-subject um, so that Parks in general, national parks, see quite a bit of fourth grade um, participation. Uh, when a whole class will come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A whole okay. class for a field trip. Um, at our park, we, we see almost 8,000 students, teachers, and chaperones a year. Not all fourth graders, but no, the bulk but of who we see are fourth graders. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen so many studies in recent years about the importance of nature and being out totally. in nature um, for all ages, but especially the impact that it has on kids and how important that is development so that's exciting um that that's there yeah public lands definitely want to be a good partner in that oh yeah support that that sounds so wonderful i just we're we're, um god this has gone by so fast and we are starting to run out of time i just want you to let people know how they can find out more about your programs i'm sure you have like a, a web presence how do people find out about like the nature matters and your footsteps accessing the park your hours right um if i can put just one more quick bid in so if you are in any way interested in working at mm-hmm. um, I wanted, I'm like, come on, Lewis talk and about the jobs. And or um, <laughs> working for national parks. Our actual hiring window is open this week for interpretive programs, which I'm with the interpretive division. And um, there are all national park jobs are listed on a federal website. I'm going to give it out now, www.usajobs.gov. GOV, and it will be a listing of park and public lands jobs, and it will um, walk you through creating a resume that you attach, and then you choose a site that you're interested in when there's a job opening. Mm -hmm. And so our um, applications are accepted through Friday. We don't accept them right here at Fort Clatsop, but they're accepted through Friday. So you have to apply online. Mm -hmm. And then they're screened, and we receive a pool of candidates Mm -hmm. in the next few months. So I just wanted to put that in. We're hiring at least one interpreter, But do you get one of those hats as an interpreter? Um, a straw or felt hat. Um, you Sorry. are able you to. You are able to. Amazing. It's well, all about the outfits. You you do receive a uniform allowance as a National Park Service employee, and part of that is you're able to purchase items. And then sometimes, if you're coming in and somebody is um, willing to or retiring, they might will you their hat. So Ooh, the hats are special. pretty special. Pretty special. Ooh. Yeah. So, um, I'm but sorry, I did want I did want to give you contact information if you're. Um, looking for more ways to get in touch with the park, our website is www.mps.gov. Um, 
www.gov forward slash Louie, L-E-W-I. And we also have a presence on face, on Facebook mm-hmm. and Instagram. And um, we have um, usually have our, our press releases out in local media. Mm-hmm. And um, we still do flyers for old school. <laughs> So look Analog. around. Analog. Yeah. Yeah. Follow for... us on Instagram. Yeah, your Instagram is great. The yeah. Facebook is a really great place to find out about upcoming events. Um, mm-hmm. They're posted yeah. well in advance on there. Yeah. And Things if you have any questions, yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. So cool. Gosh, <laughs> you guys, this is we packed a lot into this half an hour, and I'm so um, grateful for you guys coming and sharing about what's going on at the Lewis and Clark National Historical Park. Um, mm-hmm. Kayla, Kathy... Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so thank much. you so much. Everybody get outside this winter. Exactly. Definitely. Get outside yeah. and experience our public lands. Check out those lichens. All right. right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks thank you. for joining us on In Season today. And um, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.